I thank you for the truth that because of what you did for us, and we would not do on our own, we could not do on our own, you are conforming our very souls into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. The most beautiful display of grace and forgiveness you have ever offered. So as we continue to worship you now in your word, I pray that the things that we cannot see on our own, your spirit would show us. I pray that the things that we do not yet know, your spirit would teach us. I pray that the things that we are not yet, your spirit, as he has already been doing in this place this morning, would continue to make us. And the end result of our time gathered here today would be that we would walk out of here looking and smelling more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. Um, Someone want to take this for me? Sorry. Um, So let me ask you a question. It's not the question we're asking today of the message, but just generally. What is the mission of your life? What is the mission of your life? Or your family's life? Like, do you have a mission statement? Even if you don't maybe have it written down individually or as a family, do you have those kinds of conversations? Like, you talk about why, why do we exist? Like, why are we a family? Why am I saved? What did God save you for? Because if, if you're sitting here today and it is well with your soul only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ, He has saved you on purpose for a purpose. And that is to display Himself to a world that needs to see it. That is to live for something bigger than just our own personal comfort, even our own personal lives. Because like we've talked about quite a bit here at Cornerstone, this day, this week, this season that we're in, frankly, our whole lives are really a dot on a line that goes on forever and ever and ever. And he is about the business of bringing his kingdom here. It is here in part, but not yet in full. And someday soon those kingdoms are going to come back together and we are going to get to be with him in in that united kingdom for all eternity. But until then, he's told us what we're supposed to be doing. Right? He hasn't he hasn't left it up to us to wonder what the mission is. Right? The mission is that we are to make disciples and plant churches. That's the mission he leaves us here for. How do we know that? Well, two ways. One, we know that because that's what the disciples did. Right? They made disciples and they planted churches. And the reason they did it is the second thing we know. It's because he told them to. In Matthew 22, in the great, in the great commandment, when they ask, so what is the greatest commandment? He says this, love God and love people. Right? And then he goes on in, um, in Matthew 28 and he says, and by the way, this is what you're supposed to do. Go, loving God, loving people, making disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe my word. Right? And then he says, and lo, I am with you always. 
even to the end of the age. And we, we all right now really want the lo, I am with you always. Well, in order for the, the, that lo, I am with you, the withness we talk about here, walking with Jesus and having Jesus walk with us, is directly connected to being on his mission. Right? It's directly connected to living for his kingdom glory. Okay, so what does that kingdom work look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because James, which we started, seems like a long time ago, and the last time we were in it was actually four months ago this week, gives us 15 ways that kingdom living looks. And we're going to look at some of those. So just because it's been four months, I'm going to quickly just review what we, don't try to write all this stuff down today, by the way. I, all this stuff eventually gets posted to our Facebook page. So if you, if you don't follow us on Facebook, here's a good reason. You're going to see a lot of stuff come up on the screen I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. A good reason to follow us on Facebook is you'll eventually get to be reminded of what was talked about. So when we first started this series in James, we talked about handling the headlines joyfully. Then we went to getting sick of sin struggles. And then it was practicing what you preach. And then it was not letting your pride lead you to prejudice. And then it was showing the light you share. And then watching your tongue. And then knowing wisdom. And then practicing humility. And then finally, actually on March 15th, the last time we were in James, actually my Greek professor, Dr. Gurry, taught on being non-judgmental. And that was back at the school the last time we were there. But the main point of the letter of James is sort of sandwiched right in the midst, in the middle of these 15 actions that James is describing as a kingdom-minded person living. And it's in James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, and he says this. This is the main point of the letter, and I just want to remind you of this, because we want to filter all the rest of his points through this one. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Guys, this is the turning point in the, the thing that the whole letter of James hinges upon. This is what kingdom people look like. In the middle of the chaos, if you open up your Bibles to James, because we're going there now, James chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. James is towards the latter half of the New Testament, so towards the very end of, of your Bible. You're going to get, if you um, get to the book of Hebrews, keep going a little bit further, you're going to get to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 4 today, but I, but I want to show you just really quickly in chapter 3, he talks about, in chapter 3 verse 14, he's, he's been talking about, um, but if bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition, I'm in verse 14 of chapter 3, is in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth, for this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly natural and demonic. He's saying if you are bitter and selfish, if you, this is, these are signs of, of, the, of Satan's work in our lives, frankly. And then he says, for, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Now on the heels of that, very much like Paul's these of the flesh are evident, they are immorality, sensuality, debauchery, and he lists all those things in Galatians chapter 2, or chapter 5, it's the same idea when you turn the, well, in my Bible, you turn the page, and in verse 17 he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. He's making this great distinction between, here's what the world looks like, 
controlled by Satan, and here's what kingdom people controlled by the Holy Spirit look like. And it's a night and day difference. So let's look at our passage today. I'm just going to read it, the whole thing through, so you kind of get a sense of where we're going. I'm going to pick it up. I'm actually going to pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 4. He says this in verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He, God, will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and and the one who is able to save and and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will, do, we, will go do, we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, in our vernacular be, you're a dot on a line, and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and also do this and that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. This section that we're going to look at today breaks down into two things, two two main ideas that are really all about one thing. And that is don't try to be God. Don't try to be God. And he's saying, don't try to be God by, the first couple of verses, Dr. Drury actually caught on those in March, don't, don't try to be God by you deciding what's right and what's wrong. Let this do that for you. Let the Word of God do that. And the second thing is, don't try to play God by deciding what is best for your life. Let Him decide what is best for your life. So the question today that I'm asking is, what is your life pointing to? What is your life pointing to? And this passage is going to show us four things. Is it pointing to your self-exaltation, to your need for control, or is it pointing to your humble submission to a spirit-led life of obedience? So today's question, what is your life pointing to? The first thing is, is it pointing to your self-exaltation? Look at verses 11 and 12. In verses 11 and 12, James says, Do not speak against one another, brethren, He who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He's saying you're not God. There's only one of those. He's not running for God. He has always been God. He doesn't need your help at being God. He says the one who is able to save and to destroy but who are you who ju- to judge your neighbor? Guys, to sum, to sum it up in our modern-day vernacular, James is asking this. Who died and made you God? Right? Who died and made you God? Don't judge people. Don't, but but here's, here's what I find interesting. It is, it is generally, often we judge people for, two, for a couple of reasons. One, because, frankly, selfishly, it makes me feel better about myself. If I can somehow, in my fallenness, if I can make you look worse... I feel better. And that is pathetic. It is. But it's, it's something we all struggle with. And you say, I don't struggle with that. I'm telling you, at different levels, we all do. Outside of the Spirit's work in our lives, we are all comparison shopping. And, and the more we can make someone else feel, look less, the better it makes us feel about who we are. 
Paul, t- or Paul tells us this in Romans 2. Do you not think that the riches of the kindness of his tolerance and patience towards you are what caused this? Knowing that it is the kindness of God that led you to repentance. Because what we need in this world, we are not going to argue someone into the kingdom. As kingdom people, you are not going to argue someone into the kingdom. You are not going to berate them into the kingdom. You're not going to shame them into the kingdom. Now, we need to warn them. We need to love them. We need to care for them. But, but it needs to be in, a, in an attitude of kindness because we care about their souls. Generally, the people, and we see a lot of this right now, the people in and out of the church who tend to be the most ugly and the most angry are the ones that are the least secure in what they say they're being ugly and angry about. Why is that? Because if you really believe what you're saying, you don't have, you don't have to get angry about it. Right? It's what we talked about last week. If, if you find yourself angry defending Christ, he doesn't need our anger to defend him. Right? He'll take care of that. He's the one that will take care of that for us. So the first thing was, what is your life pointing to? The second thing is, or so, the first, so I'm sorry, the question is, what is your life pointing to? The first thing is, is it pointing to self-exaltation? We, that was what Dr. Dury taught on. The second thing is, is it pointing to your need for control? So let's pick it up. This is kind of new material now. Let's pick it up in verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend your year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do, know not, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Guys, here's what's interesting. Just as a side, just as a side. So yesterday, uh, Mark and Kim Rosenbach, and Kim's sister, went home to be with the Lord unexpectedly. Um, and they had their funeral at a little church over in central Phoenix. And I'm sit- we're sitting there in this little group. And, I'm, and, as, and as we're driving over there, my wife and I are praying for Mark and Kim and praying for the family. And, and, just pr- and, and the last thing I prayed was, Lord, let something in this conversation today, because I knew some cornerstone people would be there, let it carry over to our conversation tomorrow, which is now today, right? The pastor, I'm assuming he was the pastor of the church, he gets up there to give his message for the funeral. Guess what passage he opens up to? James chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. Right? And I'm sitting there going, I should have just recorded it and had him play it on the screen, and we'd have been good to go. My, my point in sharing that is to go, God is in control. God's got this. It is no big deal for him to go, you know what, I'm going to have, because I've not ever, I've not heard this passage preached at a funeral before. I mean, it, it makes sense that why it would be, but I've not seen it. And he gets up there and he starts sharing. I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point because I feel like the Lord has pretty much covered this one in the last four months. Right? We're sitting, because remember, the point is, he's saying to yourself, you guys, you're walking around going, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to go over there, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to save my money, I'm going to, I've got a plan, here's my retirement, I'm, I'm going to put everything in a box, here we go, and Boom! Guys, a year ago, think about, just think about this for a minute. A year ago, as a church, we were walking through Revelation and Daniel, where it was laying out for us everything we're seeing laid out before us right now. And we weren't prepared. None of us on, in February saw what was coming in March. And we were a church that had just walked through God's Word about what was coming. Right? And yet, because we're thinking to ourselves, well, we got this figured out. This is what we're doing next, and here's our little thing in James, and, and, we, and we do that as a church, we do that as individuals, we do that in, in, in our retirement, it's, 
because it is why Jesus, he shares the parable and he, and, where, he's, where he's talking about um, the, the man who's saving up treasure. And, and it doesn't end well for that man. But, I, but, but before we keep going with how we ought live, I want to remind us, like, like why, what is the enemy doing? And, and our sweet sister Debbie, who got up here and shared, he, what the enemy is doing, he, get this, what the enemy ever does is only ever allowed by God. Right? Satan is a tool. That's it. There, there is no, he is not some rogue warrior who just gets to do whatever he wants. Now, how that matches with God's sovereignty and what we see going on in the world, I'm not here to tell you exactly what, what all of that is. I'm just saying as we're looking, that's why we have to do what Debbie challenged us to do and thank him for stuff like COVID-19. Because ultimately, if God wanted it stopped, it would stop. And he is using it for a purpose. And the question becomes for us is, what? But the enemy also has a purpose, apart from God's, obviously. And his purpose in this time is to create isolation, apathy, fear, doubt, fear of man. Okay, he, he wants God's people to become lukewarm. Right? And, and what God is using that for is to show God's people Who's really lukewarm and who's not? I was journaling in my journal time and we were praying at our table today and it was such a, I didn't know that's what Josh was going to do. But, but guys, here's what we get, we got to understand. God is stripping away all of these plans that James was telling. You, you plan this and you plan that. He's saying, I'm going to remove all of that from you because I'm tired of you being distracted by it. The church in America has been so distracted for so long because we've had it so good. Right? If you're in China or you're in Syria, or you're in, in Ethiopia, or you're almost anywhere else in the world, you've been looking forward to heaven for a long time. As Americans, we almost have this idea of, yeah, I can't wait to go to heaven, but first, I want this and this and this, right? I mean, you have conversations like that with people, but first, I want to see my kids get married and have grandkids. That is a bad view of kingdom living. I get the heart as a dad to want that. But to put that over the desire to go to have his kingdom come, we're not getting the kingdom. But it's really hard for us in America to get the kingdom mindset because we have no felt need, really. Not really, as Scott prayed when, we, when he was up here praying. James is not against planning. What he's saying is our planning better be God-dependent is ultimately what he's saying. So, what is the point, or what is, the, what is your life pointing to? It's pointing to either your self-exaltation, your need for control, or, and now we're going to turn it from the how not to live to the how to live, pointing to your humble submission. Pointing to your humble submission. Guys, those, the, the words that, that Jesus uses to that rich man, who's, who's saying, you know what, I've got so much stuff, I know what I'll do, I'll build a bigger barn. Next week's topic, so I'm not going to step on those toes. But look at, this is, these are the words of Jesus, our, our loving, gentle shepherd. God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who's going to get everything you worked so hard for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth 
but not have a rich relationship with God. And, and, and the church in America is, including this sinner who stands in front of you, only saved by, by God's grace, has been consumed with building bigger barns. And God, I think, is saying in, in this four months, this season, he's saying, you bunch of fools. Who is going to own all that when I come back to get you? So look at verse 15. He says, instead, so, so instead of saying, here's what I'm going to do, say this. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. But, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Do you see, do you see the point he's making? He's saying, the, the re, plant, like saying I'm going to go do this, I want to do that. The, the problem with that is that you're, you, who's on, the, who's on the throne of my heart when I say, here's my plan? I am. Bad idea. Right? I've been trying over the last couple, few years, some of you may have noticed something, even, even on Sundays to go, Lord willing, we'll be in this passage next week. Part of that was because this passage convicted me. Like, I have, to be, I have to be willing to go, and if we're not, I need to be okay with that. And this season has taught me as a teacher, as a Bible teacher, to be okay with changing the schedule a little bit. It's why we haven't been back in James for four months. We've been preaching for, we haven't missed a week of, of preaching. It just wasn't in James. Right? So... These last few months are showing me, like deep down in my soul, what does it really look like to go, okay, Lord, what is your will? But here's the struggle. What is your will? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, isn't that the struggle that we all face? Guys, like, like even just in the context of church and meeting, we're, we're here right now. We are, I've, I've sent this out in several emails. We are only guaranteed this space at this time for the next couple weeks. I'm, as soon as we know differently, we will let you know. We're praying that we get to stay here longer. We don't know what's going on with the school, with the school we used to meet at. I'm, my wife and I are calling realtors. We're, t we're talking to people. We're, I'm literally driving around because I am called by God to shepherd this flock. And it is not, I don't have the freedom to just go, just let God handle it. He's got this covered. Right? That is not, that is not the will of God. Right? I, and, and if I have... I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be kind. We don't need to tell each other, you know what, stop, don't worry about that. Just let God handle it. Now, we, we do need to challenge each other to say, you know what, you, don't worry about it. Trust God in it, but do your part. Be strong. There's a scene in, in 2 Samuel, must be first, must be first Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, I think it is, where, where David's general, Joab, looks at his second-in-command, Abishai, two of the mightiest warriors that ever lived on the planet, and he looks at his brother and he says, our job, bro, is be strong and show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and the city of our God. And let God do what God's going to do. Right? That's, that's this tension we live in as Christians of our, our responsibility and God's sovereignty. Yes, God, is, God already knows where we're meeting in August. I totally get that. He has also commanded me to do my job and show myself courageous. Right? And, and, and that's true in all of our lives for different things. That's our struggle. Our struggle is... How do we know? How do I know when I'm overstepping and getting ahead of God? 
And you're going, well, God, this is what, obviously this is what you want us to do, so we're going to go, go, we're going to move over here to this place without knowing for sure that that's what he wants for us. It is always, that's true in, in, in the church, it's true in our families. Like, how, how do you, when, when, I mean, for those of you that are parents, just let something bad happen to your kids. I mean, even just emotionally. I'm not even talking something like physical illness or just something. And, and, you, and you start to struggle with, how can I make up for that? How can I help that? How can I release them from that pain? How can I fill in the, And that's, that's good and right as a parent. But what if part of what God is doing in the life of your kid is growing them into the likeness of Christ by putting them in that place? As a parent, how do you just sit there and go, good luck with that. Sorry, Emma. Yeah. I I hope you and God get that figured out because I'm going to go hang out over here. That's the tension that I face as a dad. How much of it is my responsibility and my role to to help her and how much of it is to let God do what God's going to do in her life. And that's true in, in every area. Walking out the will of God humbly is hard work because he isn't always clear. Now, we're going we're gonna to come back to that idea here in a minute, but before we do, I want you to spend some time talking at your tables about this question. And the question is easy, but it's really hard is what I've been saying. What are your biggest obstacles to walking in the Lord's will for your life? What and and me doesn't go deep enough. Let's just let's just level the playing field. Your biggest obstacle is you. It's me. I get it. Get, what about you? So take a few minutes at your table. I'm going to ask some people to share some answers. What are the biggest obstacles to following God's will for your life? Go.
can you um, like maybe at your table decide like is there something that somebody could share at your table for what your what, what a struggle is? They can speak for somebody else, and then that way nobody knows it's your struggle. If you feel better about that, um, but kind of wrap it up, and I'll. Um, so who has who who has something they want to share? Come on, we're family. Family, this is family conversation. Our guys got. still working? There you go. Sorry. Go ahead. So as a parent, it's really hard to break that bond that God created uh, to want to protect your kids at all costs. Mm. That's a good thing, and it's a natural thing, and it's, it's given by God, right? Uh, but what if God says, uh, go into a place that's dangerous, mm. as a missionary? What if God said, go do this as a family, go do this? But as a dad, like, I'm supposed to protect them, you know? Like, and so there is a, there is a battle on the inside to, uh, to go, you know what, God, they're, they're not my kids, they're yours, and they're not my, their safety is not my responsibility in its entirety, partly, but ultimately it's your responsibility. So that Anybody else? Awesome. Yeah, I, I heard somebody say once, um, and I used it a while back, it's like, my job as a dad is not to get my children into Harvard, it's to get them into heaven. Right now, I know he's sovereign and over that, and I can't save my kids, but 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 ultimately, and that is, and, and I would add to whoever made that quote, is my job as a dad isn't just to get my kids, isn't to get my kids into Harvard, which is what we spend all our time talking about, what are we saving for, and what are we doing about, it's to get them into heaven looking the most like Jesus Christ as possible. Right? That's my role. That's what he's asked me to do. That's what he's asked all parents to do. Scott, another Scott. Uh, my prayer life a lot of times are, help me get this, help me, or help this person. And that kind of goes back to that God is my co-pilot. Hmm. Uh, so he's sovereign. He provides that. So I, I begin my prayer life with that. Provide this. Let your will be done. Let's step back. Amen. Amen. I, yeah, and that's and that's also you can just leave it at your table. That's all. That's also really a hard thing for us to do, right? I, 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 and I don't always do it. I find myself, you know, praying that Lord, help me, help me, help me. What I, what I find most of the time, what I'll try to do now is change that word from Lord, help me to Lord, make me. Right? Don't, don't, I, I don't need your help, Lord, because I'm beyond. Like I need more than that, right? Like I need you to actually make me be this person, not help me be this person. And so um, even a little verbiage in my mind. But, but guys, finding the will of God and walking out the will of God, is, is, it can be a hard thing. And, and, and I want to stop for a second and just say, before we go to our last point, is, is we don't want to leave behind what we've been talking about over the last three months or so. And that is, the, the only, so how do we walk in the will of God? Well, it isn't, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to, what are those 15 things James was telling me I need to get busy about doing? It is, we got to remember Fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember, I still am. That was the series we went through in Colossians and the Psalms. And then it's, and here I am. So it's, 
fixing our eyes on Christ and walking in the power of His Holy Spirit as, the, as He has gifted you. Because if, if we're not doing that, we can't do this. You can't be in the will of God, walking in the will of God, if our eyes aren't fixed on Him and we're not being led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit is what Galatians tells us like three times. Paul's, Paul warns us of that. So the question was, what is your life pointing to? Is it pointing to self-exaltation, to your need for control, to humble submission? Okay, and you're saying, okay, but, but kind of what we've been talking about. I'm, will, I'm willing to submit. I just want God to tell me what his will is. I would ask, I would, I would humbly and kindly ask the question, really? Really? That, to me, that's like the, and I'm asking that of me too, that's like the person who doesn't give any money to kingdom work, who every time they buy a lottery ticket says, Lord, if you would just let me win this one, I'll give half of it to the church. Really? That's what God, God's like, really? You're not doing anything now. Like, why would I believe that? Here's what I mean by that in walking out the will of God. There are things that we absolutely know about God's will for our lives. And I'm going to quickly, again, don't try to write these all down. You can write down the verse reference if you want. But here are just some areas of our lives where we, are, where we clearly know God's will and struggle to do God's will. Even as we spend all this time begging him to show us his will for our life about this decision or that decision. For example, marriage. Marriage. Peter says it this way to, to wives. He says, wives, subject yourselves to your own husband that even, even if they don't obey the word of God, knowing that they might be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when, you, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, not to be outdone, he immediately goes to husbands and he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as one who, to show her honor as one who is weaker, since they are heirs with you in the grace of God, that your prayers would not be hindered. Gentlemen, I'll just tell you right now, because it's easier for me to bag on us than it is to our wives, I'll tell you right now, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, and you're asking him to reveal some will for you in your life, you're wasting your time. That verse just said it. Your prayers will be hindered. So stop asking him for some better revelation about something, some other part of your life, and love your wife like Christ loved the church. All right. Family. Children. There's something a lot of children in this room. Children. Here's God's will for your life. Obey your parents as unto the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Pretty clear will. Obey your parents. Dads, not to be let off the hook. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the, in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. Right? That's clear will for our lives. How about your jobs or school? Where you go to, where you, whatever you do, this is God's will for you in your place of work or in the school where you're at. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. That's God's will for your life. How about your, just your mindset? Just like, how do I renew my mind and, and, and live like Christ? Well, here's how you do it. Philippians 2. Have this attitude among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. That should be our mindset. Does that describe me? Does that describe you? That's God's will for us. Humble yourself, becoming obedient even to the point of death. How about my heart attitude? Well, again, Jesus made it really clear. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am 
This is Jesus' heart. Gentle and humble of heart. Okay, that's God's will for your life. Does that describe your life? How about just where we started? What's your mission? Well, he told us what our mission is. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And lo, I am with you. Does that, so as we're asking God, okay, but, but yeah, but Doug, I just need to know, do I take this job or that job? Do I end this relationship or not? Do I, whatever the thing is, right? Ask yourself in just the, in the areas where God, and those are just some, at where God has clearly revealed his will to you, are you following it? Because we are to, we are to live lives that are pointing our humble submission by being spirit-led and obedient. Because if we're, if we're not being obedient to the things that are clear, why would he reveal to us the secret things of the Lord? Right? It, why would he let you win the lottery if you're not giving anything to his kingdom now? Same idea. Okay, so James, so verse 17 speaks to this. It says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Here's what, here's what that, guys, that, as I was studying this passage, that was a colloquialism of the, of the time. So Jewish people would have, would have been really familiar with that saying. And so James takes a very familiar cultural saying and throws it into the middle of this letter because it fits really well in a lot of ways. But you read it and you go, how does that really fit here? Because in, in light, there is no chapter 5 in, in the original letter. It really flows very much between what we talked about today and what we will be talking about next week. But it's this idea of, here, I'll, I'll put it in a nutshell. So him who knows the right thing to do is, and does not do it to him, it is sin. Let me just simplify that because there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. When God says go, he means now. Right? When God says do it, he means don't doubt it. So when you do hear the word of the Lord, when you do see his will and he's like, this is the direction you go. He doesn't mean after you've prayed about it for another week or two. He means do it right now. Do it, don't doubt it. When our kids were little, we talked about first-time obedience. Now that they're older, we're horrible at it. But back then, they were first-time obedience. We told them, do what I tell you to do, when I tell you to do it, with a respectful attitude. That was a non-negotiable in our home when they were young. Why? Not, not because that way I could, we could just be these have these obedient children and so that we could be like have a peaceful home. Those are nice byproducts. But because if they won't do it for me, they won't do it for God. Do what I tell God's saying to us, do what I tell you to do, when I tell you to do it, with a respectful attitude. Right? That's how we teach our children to see God that way. That's how he's teaching us to see him that way. But but how do we know? Like how how can we do that when so much of our world, our Twitter feed, our Facebook account, social media, what, like the, the, the general, we prayed about the media today, when, when, when so, there's so much being thrown at us that, that seems like it's accurate, correct, informational, whatever it is. Because we have to back up and filter everything through a biblical worldview. Our lens as Christians, our glasses have to be gospel glasses. We have to say, okay, but what is the gospel truth in what this person is saying? And we have to recognize that the world cannot understand that. 
Paul tells us two times in 1 Corinthians that the natural man, the unsaved, the unregenerate, unredeemed, not spirit-filled man cannot understand the things of God. He doesn't have the, like the, back in the day, the, the antenna on your TV. He doesn't have the antenna. He or she can't. It's not that they, they can't until they're born again. So we need to, but we as believers can. We have to be Holy Spirit led. Guys, we, who knows the right thing to do and doesn't. Guys, the conviction you feel when you sin as a believer, that is James 4.17 being lived out in your life. It's the Holy Spirit going, don't, yeah, you, you know better. That is not my will for your life. Right? And, then, and then claim the grace of God and in his strength, by his power, live better. Guys, who are you ultimately trusting with the will for your life? Your wisdom or God's wisdom? That's the question. Who are we trusting for that decision-making? Is it, is it, it's not so much what do we do, it's who are we following? Right? And in a world where people are telling us to do a lot of stuff right now, or don't do a lot of stuff right now, the question we have to ask, I'm not here to tell you what the right or wrong answer is in that, I'm here to tell you what we have to do. It's, it's not what are we doing, it's who are we following? Our, okay, there's a whole section in our toolkit. I meant to bring one up. It's the, we have some on the table. It's a spiral-bound um, thing. But there's also handouts on your table. There's a, I, I copied. They're stapled together. I put a couple copies on each table. I, I just copied off this, the pages in the toolkit that talk about knowing God's will. There's a whole section, like five pages of it. I just copied three of them. How do we know the will of God? Like, there are, there are on, on that handout in the toolkit, there are examples where Tim Keller just talks about, just, you want to know the will of God? Do the next right thing. Do the, walk in his spirit, all things, do the next right thing. MacArthur talks about, hey, here are these, if these things are, are true in your life, do what you want to do because that is in the will of God. Right? I just want to bring it back to if, if, if what we believe is we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the one who still is the great I am, we're walking in the power of the Spirit, the one who says, here I am right here in you. You are a temple of the living God. If we're walking out that life, here's what we ought to look like. So here are the five things. These are not in your toolkit. Here are the five like IDs of a healthy disciple. And if these things are true in your life, you are in the will of God. So do what you want to do. Here are the five things. Worship. Are you participating in worship? Prayer, praise, fellowship as the gathered people of God on a regular basis. That is what a mature disciple of Christ looks like. Connection. Are you actively involved in disciple-making? Are you discipling and, and, or, and being discipled? We have more information that's going to be coming about what, we have, what we're planning for the fall season. We'll, we'll start talking about that in early August, so be ready for that. There's going to be lots of opportunities at different levels to engage in disciple-making. Serving. Are you, we talked about this for two weeks in a row. Are you using your spiritual giftedness in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ? On your table, there's a purple sheet and an orange sheet. One of them helps you figure out your spiritual giftedness. The other one has a list of all the ways that you can plug into the body. And I'm not talking about just here on Sundays. A lot of the stuff is nothing to do with Sunday. Missions trips, helping, help just giving, whatever it is. So there's, but it's just serving. Next one is giving. Your time, talent, treasure to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And sharing. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit to, to shine and to share the truth of the gospel with others? Guys, if those things are true in your life, 
You are walking in the will of God. So just, so just do what Keller says and do the next right thing. If those things are true in your life, you are in the will of God. Do the next right thing. So what's the, what, what is your life pointing to? Well, we need to stop pointing to self-exaltation, our need for control. We need to point to humble submission and a life of spirit-led obedience. But guys, and we're going to go into our time of response to this. I'll ask the music team to come up and we'll go into communion. Guys, we cannot do this on our own. Right? We, I, I, I've been praying, just like I did when we started, James. I've been praying that James, because James is so much a do it, do it, do it, do it, do it book, that if we walk out of here going, all right, I just got to do better. If any of you right now are sitting here and you're going, what I just heard him say is that I need to get out, I need to, I need to start doing more for Jesus. I need to start to stop that thinking. It's not about doing, it's about being. It's about being with him. Right? It's about walking with him. It's, it's why we build this time of, we've built this time of prayer at the front end and this time of response at the back end. It's why, we've, why we have it the way we have it in our service now. Because we, guys, we need time to just soak. Like, we need time to, to let our souls soak in the Holy Spirit and just say, Lord, refresh me in this dry, ridiculously hot, and weary land where there is no rest. We need these moments. So, so rather than sit here and let your mind race in the next few minutes as you listen to the song and we're going to communion about, okay, I, I, I need to do better, I need to do better, I need to do better. Just, just stop. Just be. Just be. And let him be with you. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for... Thank you for the truth that you did not leave us here as orphans. That you didn't give us this amazing word and then say good luck with that. Here's what you're supposed to do, now go do it. Because we can't. You said you breathe into us. Like you told Ezekiel to breathe on the dry bones. And, the, and that breath was the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God hovered over those bones and moved into those bones, those bones became living and active flesh. And all of that was just a picture of what you are doing now. Because you said, I, I will not leave you as orphans, as orphans, but if I go, I will send my spirit, and he will dwell in you. Thank you, Lord, for filling us with him. But in this dry and weary land, we get dehydrated. What can often... What, what should it seem like the cool, refreshing breath of God can often just feel like a hot air dryer. So Lord, I want to pray that in these next few moments, moments not because of anything other than your Spirit's presence in this place, feel your breath 
Beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is.